0: Hold on, I've got to turn my thingy on. There it is. Ah, <laughs>
1: well, two handsome fellas, you can't lose, can you? You really can't. I think the uh, the, the zoom system is probably going to break down from all that sexiness on screen right now. Oh, is it, is it going to break down from your side or mine? That's what you're asking. <laughs> <to. laughs> All right, welcome to Talk to Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And let's get going with the patented Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Uh, hope everybody's okay. Hope you're doing good. Uh, listen, I did my first new painting this morning. Yeah, uh, the neighbors weren't too happy, but my front door looks amazing. Thank you very much. Goodbye. I had to think about that one for a minute, but actually I kind of like it. It's, it's funny. Yeah? Thanks to Duff for keeping us laughing and thanks to Duff for keeping us rocking with Guns N' Roses. I was in Las Vegas last week to see uh, GNR at the Allegiant Stadium. It was a great, great show, and Guns N' Roses are continuing on in the States till October. Then they're heading to Australia and New Zealand in November. See them while you can. And don't forget Fozzie as well. We are officially back on the road We had the first show of the Save the World Tour last night in Columbus. It was a great opening uh, night of the tour. Thanks to everyone who came and rocked with us. And we continue tonight in Joliet at the Forge. I will do VIP, then head back to Chicago, uh, about 50 miles away to do Rampage, then head back to uh, the Fozzie gig that night. And then we got Belvedere on Saturday, the Apollo Theater. Sunday's AEW All Out at the Now Arena in Chicago. Uh, MJF versus Jericho. If I lose, I never wrestle in AEW again. I don't even want to think about that. And then we continue on Harrisburg. Apotamux, Baltimore. Don't forget also to Kansasville, Wisconsin in that Chicago area on Monday the 6th. And so many other big gigs. uh, Flint, Cleveland, Johnson City, uh, all sold out. Pittsburgh sold out. Look to Fozzy Rock for tickets. And new VIP spaces have just opened up. So if you wanted to go to VIP in your town and uh, they were sold out, we opened up a few more places. So go to FozzyRock.com and come join us uh, with Through Fire, Royal Bliss. Uh, They'll be out for us for most of the dates. And like I said, the Fozzie VIP experience is back. One of the best in the business. You get a mini set. You get a little question and answer with us. We'll sign uh, something for you. So come hang out with Fozzie. You won't regret it. And you won't regret We're coming to Europe starting uh, November 30th in Manchester, England. We're actually doing Liverpool at the Cavern on the 29th. The famous Cavern Club made famous by the Beatles. But then we're continuing on to Newcastle, Glasgow, Dublin, Belfast, etc., etc. Once again, Fozzie Rock. Dot com. Come check us out if you are in America or if you're in England. And speaking of England, one of the greatest drummers from the greatest English band, heavy band of all time, Iron Maiden, Nicko McBrain, is here today talking about the new album Senjutsu, which dropped today. And you can get it wherever you buy or stream music. It's their 17th studio album. It's already talked about it being another classic. I really like it. It's a long album, it's a monster, but you got to um, listen to it over and over again. But it really is good. And the band is hoping to hit the road next year. Nico tells us about tour plans, a potential set list, some of the plans he has for his drum kit for the upcoming tour. He's got some great stories about how he got his nickname, his favorite not-so-favorite train wreck stories on stage with Iron Maiden. He shares his memories and thoughts with the late Great Stones drummer Charlie Watts. Let's get our rock on with Nico McBrain and Iron Maiden. Senjutsu, right here on Talk is Jericho. I think last time we spoke, Nico, you had some chef pants on. Yeah, and now it looks like you have your your uh, bathrobe on. I do. I, I. It's morning here. Where are you, by the way?
0: you In LA? No, I'm actually in uh, Milwaukee. Oh, it's fine. Uh, we, we're on the same time zone. Almost the same time zone, exactly. Well, exactly. this is this is my attire, right, for going out. What well, I do since the the pandemic last year when you know everything shut down then the drive-throughs are open so me and the missus started going to starbucks for our coffee in the morning yeah we take our little sniffly puppy our little dog a little uh, shulky and uh it was a ritual now every morning if we don't take this dog out she sits down on my chair here and starts growling at me like what are we going so Wednesday morning is her birthday. Uh, 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 yeah, she has a bath, so we go to Starbucks, <laughs> drop her off at the at the salon, and me and the <laughs> wife go in our robes. <laughs> the girls' faces when we turn up at the Starbucks <laughs> drive through are like, "Morning, Nick. Morning, Rebecca. Nice to see you. nicely dressed for us." You know. <laughs> but, no, it's uh, it's great. so. It's, and I have my name on my robe. Look, but I don't know why. It's it's because if I if I hang it up. I can find it because it's got my name on. So,
1: well, let's just quickly jump in with this. You know, uh, Nico, where did Nico come from? I'm sure you've answered this before, but we've never discussed it. You have Nico. Everyone's talking about Nico. Where did this nickname come from?
0: Okay, it, it was uh, back in '73, 1973. I was playing with uh, the first two guys I played with when I went professional. A guy called Billy Day and Mike Leslie, and I was working with these two guys and and the pianist uh, Billy Day was uh an alcoholic <laughs> anyway we we started working writing songs we that i would i was the only one with a driving license anyway long story even longer we ended up doing uh what we called the ghost hours at cbs studios in whitfield street in london it was the first we, we were one of the first bands to go in so they could you know make sure everything was working right but at the same time we were recording an album mm-hmm well, we were in the pub next door called the Valiant Trooper. It was right next door to the studio. In fact, we actually talked to the owner of the bar of knocking a hole in the wall, so we could didn't have to go out the building into the pub. <laughs> so it was it's crazy days. So we did this um, CBS convention in Streatham, uh, South London, and that week we were in the pub. We were recording, which was at the daytime. So we've gone in the pub to meet Dick Asher, who then was the president of CBS, and a guy called Obi-Obenstein. And we were meeting them in the pub. So I'm playing a one-armed bandit in the pub, and these two guys walk in. One was Dick Asher, and Billy had been at the source. And he got he gets, he gets used to get drunk very quickly. So he's come over, he's introduced the rest of the band to, to Dick and this other guy, I forget who it was who was with him. And then he comes <laughs> over to me, he's just... Out of the top of his head, he goes, I want to introduce you to, our, he says, I want to introduce you to an Italian, not Italian, Italian, <laughs> Italian drummer. This Because I was called Nicky. My mum and dad came. I used to have a book called Nicholas and the Bear. I used to carry it all oh, around. Okay. So it came from Nicky. So they used to call me Nicky. And then he introduced me. This is our, our Italian drummer. <laughs> Nico, you <laughs> well, he, he pronounce it Nico, okay. right? like with E. so Dick Asher shook, shook his hands. said nice to meet you, then Obi turned up, and Obi at that time had these two Irish uh, wolfhounds, I, I think they were Irish setters, red, big, real tall dogs, and he comes in the pub with these two dogs, right, but, but it's larger than life, and he, you know, and these dogs are sniffing around everywhere, and then then dick asher comes over and introduced me to obi and he goes i want to introduce to nico the italian drummer <laughs> and i thought i quite like that so that's how how it uh, how i got my name
1: <laughs> the italian drummer <laughs> well speaking of drummers obviously it, it was a sad day yesterday when one of the greatest drummers of all time uh, of course charlie watts passed away and um I mean, I'm, I'm sure being a drummer of your generation, Charlie's a huge influence, a huge influence for any generation. But what are your thoughts on Charlie and his style? Well, absolutely great. A great loss to uh, to the, the music,
0: con- you know, family in general. But, you know, the, when you think about the life he's had, especially with the Rolling Stones, that 80 becomes like 200 years. Right, <laughs> right. But, um. He was such a great influence on on many of us younger players, and when I say younger, you know, of my generation, for sure. He had his style was was unique because he was a jazz drummer. He came from like a big band background, and uh, and he, he just slipped into the to the gig with it with the Stones, and obviously stayed, you know, sat on a drum stool and never left. Mm-hmm. But he had this this lovely technique of uh, he played both ortho, orthodox grip and match grip. Uh, he tended to change between the two, which was cool, but he did this thing on the. He, he like, instead of going like four, you know, the old two and four groove with a four on a hi hat, he'd go and he'd leave the fourth quarter note out. And that was, it became like a like Ringo used to have to swish on the hi hat and he dance. Yeah, yeah. And so then you take that and it was, you know, there was a quote somebody told me, he said, it was like, music isn't about the notes, it's about the space in between. And that was classic Charlie. He he never overplayed anything. He sat on the pocket, uh, much like Ringo. You know, Ringo was a pocket player. So the, this is the generation in the early 60s you're talking about. And so as a player, um, total, total respect. And, and it was a sad day. I, I heard yesterday, like everybody else, and and uh i knew there was a bit of news uh about the tour that he handed over the drum stall to steve jordan who he recommended to take right you know, they were great mates and he said steve's an absolutely fantastic player such a versatile player and uh Big old hi-hats, you know, that's probably why, because he has these big 15-inch hi-hats, I think, Stevie. Yeah, you know, so I don't know how how the boys are going to go out and tour without him, now knowing that he's not here. It's a a sad loss, Uh, um, and our our drumming community has lost a a great ambassador, but, you know,
1: I, I was very saddened by it. Did you ever cross paths with the Stones or with Charlie at a, any festival? Or? Yeah, the only time I ever met—I I briefly said hello to
0: him—was the they did a um, they did a secret gig at the One Hundred Club in, War, in uh, Oxford Street, way back in the oh, must have been well, early eighties. Um, I I don't think I was. I with Maiden? Shall I, let me see? No, I, I it was before Maiden. It might have been like eighty, eighty-one, 81, and they did this gig, and Billy Preston was on keyboards, and, they, and this, the 100 Club is probably about 400 people. Yeah. And I got to say hello to him uh, as I, I made my way to the stage. stage was the, in this, this <laughs> club, the stage was about 2 foot 18 inches high, so, and they're right there. And I took a Walkman in with me, so it must have been <laughs> early 80s because, you know, when the Sony Walkman came out, you know. Right. I, was re- I actually got caught recording them. Right, I'm kind of telling a story now of the you know. So anyway, this this big old bouncer came up and he's he's caught me. He's dragged me out the back of the out the front of the you know where you go in to pay, and uh, he's taken my cassette machine. He's taken the cassette out, and he's gone up to Harvey Goldsmith, who was actually who promoted this this particular private party, and this bloke's gone, hey, Look, I caught him bootlegging a freaking band. <laughs> right, and he stuck the cake underneath, and, and, and Harvey's gone, You should know better, Nick. I said, Harvey, you should know better. I'm a musician. Am I going to bootleg this? For-? You have to be joking. I said, It's for me.
1: Yeah. You
0: know, he said, You can have this back at the end of the night. And then he gave me my machine back. And I thought, Idiot, why didn't I have another cassette? <laughs> but uh, that was the only time I came in contact with uh, with Charlie. Uh, I'd met I met Mick in the Bahamas when we were recording uh, Power Slave. Mm. But, uh, yeah, you know I, d- I, d- I know uh, Ronnie. I've never met uh, Keith. Only set for at that, you know, like in passing, you know. But I d- I, sub- I tipped me out off to Charlie, but I didn't really know him. I only knew him through his his wonderful playing
1: the band one last thing about Charlie and the Stones I saw them in about 2013 and it was right at the beginning of the set they were doing it's only rock and roll and something happened where Mick came in wrong and then Keith went off into space and even Daryl Jones was off and they were on the verge of a massive train wreck <laughs> and Charlie just kept drumming you know face never changed and finally they all just gathered around him and, and got back into the groove yeah, again yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had to do that with Maiden? Has there ever been times when you almost get to a train wreck and you just got to keep playing? Just just pick a song out the hat, anyone. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. The, well, one story that springs to mind uh, like that was uh, when we were doing the um, Power Slave Tour. We did three nights at Hammersmith Odeon, maybe more, actually. Uh, I think we might have done five nights there, Three uh, clear five <laughs> And um, we were doing uh, Flight of Icarus. Mm. And Bruce always, before we, you'd get a kick out, he'd go, Scream for me, Hammersmith. Yeah. Scream for me, Smith! Yeah. Scream three times. (laughs) He always said it three times The Flight of Icarus. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Right? This particular one of the nights, he goes, Scream for me, Hammersmith. Yeah, squeak for me, Hammersmith. And he, he didn't get to the third one, and I counted it in. I mean, on my me own. So it was, right? So Dave and H, because H was stage left, Dave was stage right, and Harry. Bruce is out front giving it the big one, and he's <laughs> heard me stop. So I couldn't stop. I thought, I can't stop. That would be really embarrassing. I'll just carry on. How
1: are
0: we going to get out of this? So they all ended up coming, flying up to the drum riser, and they are all standing on the steps in front of me going, what the f***? He's was going, what the f*** are you doing? I went, oh. watch me. One, two, three, four, whack. Bah ba, <laughs> I'm So that was one of those get out of jail moments, and we were recording. And oh. Martin Virtue's out in the, in the Stones funny enough, Stones Mobile, and uh, we were they were out the back, and and uh, I played, got through the gig with total embarrassment. I felt like I went from this massive <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm playing really well tonight, to this, oh my god, what did you just do? <laughs> so Chris is no word of a lie. I thought, I'm not going to get fired. I'm going to leave the band. Mm. So I've gone out. When we finished the gig, I've gone in the dressing room and I said to the guys, I said, (laughs) look, I'm really sorry. You don't have to fire me. I'll I'll just leave. Everyone started laughing. (laughs) Martin Birch came in. he said, that was priceless. And, you know, and so there is a tape of that somewhere. And, um, you know, I wish wish I'd have asked Martin about it. I I did ask him about... um, about it years and years ago and he said oh, I was a quarter inch tape that was running of the whole show uh, not just the two inch uh, magnetic stuff that we had in the, you know because it was all analog in those days and uh he said i've got that in my attic and he said to me i'll get it out one day just to embarrass you so <laughs> so that was quite an experience
1: were you feeling like uh, when you first joined maiden because you were the new guy in the band was there a lot of pressure to where you felt like if you made this mistake that you just you're, you're going to get fired instantly. Was it that high pressure for you? Well, yeah, yes and no. You know, I mean, I think
0: all musicians, whether you're playing professionally, doing it for a living or, you know, doing it because you're doing it because of, of love for, for your instrument and love for the, the guys you play with. And so we never, you know, to say you don't make mistakes and people say oh, I don't make mistakes, that's a load of load of BS because we all do. And it's how you get out of them. Count. Like the Stones when Charlie walked sure. in, the pocket and went, oh, lads, okay, just keep an eye on. It. Here's one. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, even Dream Fear can make you. <laughs> <laughs> where is one with those guys? You know, <laughs> your man Genie's like all over the shop. You're like, you're, where's, that? where's that? What's the count on that? But um, yeah, you you do feel that you're not so much letting yourself down, but you're letting the audience down and your bandmates. Where if you make the mistake, you've got to own up to it. Um, one of the stories I usually tell people is when you do make a mistake, do it again deliberately, right? <laughs> so the next time round, a bar comes up and, you know, just do it. and say, <laughs> Oh, I was just trying something out, you know? Because <laughs> you know what? The drummer always gets blamed, no matter whether it's his fault or not. So, right. But uh, no, I, in the early days, obviously I was under the pressure because I had to replace a very dear friend and an absolutely phenomenal drummer, Clive Burr. So I'm not only am I, you know, big big shoes to fill. So I I had a lot of pressure on me to actually, you know, make sure I was in the doing what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it makes mistakes. Everybody was making mistakes, you know, but it's how you get away with them and how you not covering them up so much, but, you know, sometimes you slip a wrong note in and you can't get away from that, you know. Right. Drum timing is very important. So sometimes you can do a drum fill, come out in the the wrong spot. So you then have to catch the, get back into the one. So yeah, it's very important to make sure you, you know, especially in those days and even more so today, because I'm not supposed to make the mistakes that I was making 40 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Story boys, but it does happen.
1: (laughs) Well, we got to talk about the reason why you're here, Nico. The new maiden album, Senjutsu, your 17th studio album is available now wherever you buy or stream music, and we'll get into the making of it and the songs and all that stuff. But before we do, big thanks to Geico for supporting Talk is Jericho. Do you own or rent your home? I'm sure you do. And if you do, you know it can be hard work. But you know what's easy is bundling policies with Geico. Now, Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners' or renters' insurance along with your auto policies it's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Well, it's it's a big time uh, right now because a new Iron Maiden album is always such a, a, an event, shall we say. And there's not a lot of bands left where the album, it's like, oh my gosh, Iron Maiden, new album coming out, and everyone wants to know all the details and song titles and song times and all this sort of thing. Are you happy so far with, with, with the buzz that Senjutsu has got because everybody's talking about it worldwide. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've been online and, and looked at,
0: um, comments on Facebook and people and, and on our, our webpage, you know, Iron Maiden FC. And, um, you know, even now there's a lot of whinging going on. Oh, the soldier, Kevin Shirley can't mix a, you know, he can't mix a spoon in a bowl and all this stuff. You know, <laughs> and you know what? What makes me amazed about today's society and the, and the way with the social media? Wait till you get the f-ing record and the CD, play it at home, and then make your mind up. Everyone's mm. whinging about it. You know, and here's the thing. The way we made records in the 80s and 90s Was analogue And we're still an analogue type band We don't, you know, you've got digitised shit now It's all numbers, zeros and ones and stuff And cleanliness People have become conditioned to hear In a certain frequency in records That that are made like that We're still mixing from the heart We still play the song And even with the mistakes that we can Mm -hmm. Little mistakes that are in there you know um so yeah i'm a bit annoyed because you know i i find that people are too being too super ana- analytic about two songs wait till you hear the record get a bit of vinyl get the cd in your machine and have a listen you know but the vibe uh, of the you know that you know even even the senjutsu eddie who is freaking phenomenally i mean is frightening he's not as frightening as the book of souls right behind yeah. behind me you know um but um yeah the vibe that you know because we haven't had an album out in six years it's mm-hmm. you know obviously taking a year and a half away through all this bollocking pandemic and shit but uh the vibe is just great and and you know the beautiful thing here is that uh, that all the songs on this album chris it, it, it's like um what don't you play live You know, when when, I'll leave that out to your lovely listeners when they get a copy and and, and they they listen to it. There's not one track that you couldn't play live that wouldn't be like a stadium out track. Even the long star. I mean, three Steve Harris written solely, you know, (laughs) and Steve doesn't mess around when it comes to the way he constructs his songs. You know, and you're always going to have an intro. Mm-hmm. And then you know people are moaning about it. Oh, what's about you? Oh, what's the... We're writing on the wall. What's the deal with the country guitar at <laughs> the beginning? Oh, please give me a break. You
1: know. <laughs> well, I, I love that too. It's 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 like the first Iron Maiden album in six years, and people are already so the people that are play, because I I've heard the album and I've, it's funny because as a quick segue, the, the lovely people at Iron Maiden uh, sent me the record, but it's almost like Mission Impossible. You listen to it once or twice, and then it disappears. Yeah. I'm like, what? what? Like, I didn't, I didn't know I would have listened to it completely locked in, but I put it on the background. Oh, that's a great song. Let me have another listen. And then it disappears. So it's always the very kind of Candlesteen maiden way. Uh, but still, like, what a, a, a huge epic record. And the people that see these, you know, long songs are already, like, complaining that it's too long. It's been six years. It can't be too long. I'm okay with it being long. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and here's the thing,
0: you know, they, people complain about that, you know, why is it always such a You know how it works, Chris. Yeah. You know, you've got your band. By the way, how are the boys doing?
1: Oh, very good. Thank you. Very good. Have you played any gigs since? Uh, we played a couple of gigs. We're actually getting ready to go out next week, uh, oh, to good. be honest with you. And uh, everything's going good. We have a new song that just hit the top. Fifteen on the charts, so uh we're actually you guys are right behind us. So we're. Oh, hang gonna, on a minute! I ain't right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll have to go
0: and have a pee. Oh, but, but that—that's great. Yeah. Um. I mean, I remember when we we, we did our show in L.A. together. What a great
1: night that was! What a, a great, great night.
0: night, that that a great night. Yeah, and um, my biggest memory from that night, moving away. I know. We'll go back to this in a minute. Yep. Yeah. Was um. I remember for, on stage, out in the car park, the way they, they built that stadium, there was a massive big floodlight. And from my perspective, I don't know if it was because I was up on a riser, this light was, the, it, you know, sometimes when something peripherally takes you, you know, you just can't not look at it. Right. This light, and I kept sending Charlie, go and tell someone to shoot that Light out, <laughs> it got so annoying, and uh, you know, you think, What a stupid boy! You're playing out there in front of 60,000 people, you know, and you're worried about a light in a car park. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, getting back to recording, you know, a long song, so many times it's happened where we've finished the track and we go back and have a listen. And you go, you know, oh, that's, that's that's great track. Yeah, well, we we'll keep that second verse. That is brilliant, Nick. You f***ed up in the chorus, you know. All right, we'll take that from there. So you're listening but compiling at the same time. You, you're critiquing. And this is the way we worked on this album. Everyone was critiquing everybody else's playing and performance, which was unheard of before. You know, usually we just listen go, oh, I like that. Oh, I made a mistake there. You know, uh, Kevin, take a note, and you know, to clean it up, or if we're going to use that track. But at the end of it, you go, "Oh, that was—it sounded—it didn't sound like that out there when we played it, but that's brilliant, Mm -hmm. you know." And we all kind of think, "Yeah, that's 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 the one." And then Kevin are chiming, "You know how long it is? Uh, No, how long is it? Twelve and a half minutes." (laughs) Yeah. Your clock's wrong. <laughs> no, it ain't. Mean, yeah, it must be because that track certainly don't feel 12 and a half minutes, and you don't physically feel it as being a long track. Even Empire of the Clouds. Now that did feel long. Yeah, but that was that was an epic. That was an opus. Now, of course, it's eighteen minutes, half an album. You know. Yeah,
1: that's, right, that's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right.
0: So, but these tracks that Steve's written and you know in the past, but on this album, particularly, didn't feel that long. And I think maybe having listened to it myself i'm totally different object i have a different objectivity when i'm listening to that album i'm listening to everybody's playing and and i'm enjoying it i don't ever feel that tracks too long or that section repeat parchment is my favorite track and mm. that's like 12 minutes long mm-hmm. and there's a lot of different repetition in it but on the repetition of different counter melodies that keep coming in and there's this one melody then there's another it's, similar in a way to the red and the black in as much that there's all these guitar refrains and melodies that go into across the groove that me and steve have laid down you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, i like that track uh it doesn't seem that long so i think the best thing for going for your original question about the vibe that's going on with the album yes there's a lot of great great chatter going on people don't like the Eddie other people do <laughs> there was one person that I know as well. a couple of people on, a, on the forum were going why have they got a black background like the Book of Souls ad can't they come up with something better than a black background <laughs> I mean come on people you know <laughs> You know, you could put you could put a kaleidoscope behind Eddie, You know, all these different colors, like, like like maybe you know, Sergeant Pepper's, something that kind of vibe, and they'd still moan about it. Why didn't they put a black background?
1: I've found that about you know, Iron Maiden fans, Star Wars fans, wrestling fans are like that. They're so involved and so interested that they tend to complain a lot as well. That's mean you know and especially nowadays because there's a, a forum for everybody to just go online and, and write whatever they want to write
0: yes so, you know, yeah. so that, that's changed I don't want to paint a picture of me being moaning about our no fans. no no I love our fans we have the best and everyone in the world who plays professionally says their fans are the best I know our fans are the best I know that without a doubt hands down but I get kind of I don't get angry. I kind of just go, God, I've got to scratch my head on that one, you know. And I like that because the freedom of choice, people have to have that, you know. And I love that. And I think our fans, some of them, I think, do it just because they want to get a reaction from the rest of the forum, which is cool. And it starts up this, like, threads and stuff. And, by the way, I do go on board. I don't actually answer anything or, or critique you Know, go in there and go, oh, you're you know, you're you're, you're, off, you're off out of order, mate. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it's great. So, the, the the general vibe, Chris, is just this just phenomenal, you know. And I've got before we carry on, I want to tip, tip my hat off to uh, all our gang back in England, Mary, Dave Shax, Ed, I've got all the people that have been behind, uh, and Sarah. She's our web goddess. She does all the internet, social media stuff. She came up with the Belshazzar's beast idea. Um, and I just want to let let it be known that I, from the bottom of my heart, really appreciate everybody back at, uh, at Iron Maiden HQ for what they've done and how they've, they, you know, pushed this. Uh, as I spoke to Dave Shack today, he said, I'm going after the third of September. I'm going on holiday. I mean, <laughs> I think you're probably going to need it. Yeah? I mean, you know.
1: So, uh, but hats off, hats off to everybody. Last time I saw Dave Shack, we played uh, World War One tank paintball after download a few years ago that uh, that Smallwood organized. All oh, so. right.
0: Yes, I did hear about that.
1: Yes. Yeah. All good, though. <laughs> All right. So Jutsu seemed to come out of nowhere. But let's talk about when Maiden actually recorded. You've been sitting on this for a long time. And we'll do that after this important reminder from our friends at Nitsa. You're hanging out with some friends, putting back a few drinks. And a few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. But now nah, you live nearby. You can make it home. OK, it's not a big deal. What are the odds you'll even get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up, you lose your license, you lose your job, you told your car, you kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that doesn't stop a lot of people from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. And that's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one minute to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. All right. Nico, how long has Senjutsu been in the can, so to speak? Well, we recorded it in 2019. Wow. Yeah, it's been a while. So,
0: you know, there again, you know, I've got to say it's been like a military operation of protecting the music steve i think was the only one who had actually on his hard drive had a copy of the album hmm. i don't think even kevin had it so once it was mixed and signed off steve was the only one it was like fort knox you know because steve is very very super protective as you can imagine and um i got a copy of it probably three months ago and that was on, on a file that you know steve said look i'll send you the artwork uh, he sent me the artwork first of all the different formats of the artwork because I, I had to think about you know what i'm going to do in the future drum wise so that was the primary reason for sending me that early and then then and i said can i he said have you got a copy yet i said you know i haven't what do you mean i have i got a copy of it yet of course i haven't he said i'll send it to you now and and so it was uh, bruce had a copy that he that he did was with, with steve when steve was back over in england uh, or must be seven, eight months, whenever it was. Because obviously the writing on the wall, they had to, but Bruce, Bruce finagled a copy, digital copy. And so I've, I've lived with it for three months. No, we just short of three months. So it was all kept under wraps. So when I saw the artwork for Eddie, I'm like, what <laughs> oh, you, you know, once you see, did you just, you haven't seen the album artwork, right?
1: yeah oh yeah absolutely of course oh, he did
0: so you know um
1: the the one where he's
0: with the boat yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, right? yes yes, yes, yeah that's my favorite
1: like the samurai ancient samurai eddie and all the different warrior poses that that is inside the actual album is what you're talking about yeah, yeah. It,
0: it, it's just magic you know mark i think mark uh did the artwork as, as well for us again and uh it's just the whole thing to me, and just—I mean, not just as the drummer of the band. I mean, I'm also, you know, very critical on what to, to look for for, you know, the artwork in, in terms of what it represents, you know, and, and that the whole, the whole thing's just stunning.
1: How is that presented to the band? Is that something that Steve just says, here's what we're doing? Or does he say, I got this idea and discuss it with you guys? Yeah, yeah, really. You know, we talked about this over the years
0: about de- delegating different things. So it's not all Steve. It's primary Steve, Bruce and Rod. So Steve's attitude was is still a very democratic band but he can't phone everybody up to make a decision. So of he course. does make the decisions and we get to know about it. And if we feel that perhaps it's not the right thing, or we have a different att- attitude, you know, to add something to it, then it's talked about. But nine times out of 10, it's really left up to, you know, the, the, the three amigos and I, we are you know, totally 100% confident in, in Steve, first of all, Bruce, of course, and then Rod and the management team. So, um, you know, like, for instance, when we decided uh, we were on the Book of Souls tour talking about the legacy, we knew that we would, how we were doing it and the Spitfire and all the different realms. Mm-hmm. And it was like, what song do you want to play? Everybody had a choice. Obviously, Mark came up and I went, we got to do Where Eagle's Dare. for we're doing the wars." <laughs> you know, all right. That was written down and Davey, you know, had his choices. And so that's how that, the music t- side of it, we all tend to talk about how we're going to present the set list, but all that artwork and stuff is—I'm uh, obviously the drum side of it. That's my domain. That's my realm. Nobody interferes with that. That's all down. Uh, but I do run it by Steve, much to Rod's chagrin. He's like, "Bloody hell, Nikki! You go to Let me see what bloody stuff you're doing with the rule." No, I'm not. Rod, Rod. No disrespect, my love. I'm the drummer, and the drum set—that's my my realm. No, no. Uh, by the way, I've run it by Steve. Ooh. And he mums and grums, changes the subject for <laughs> it.
1: But, um, yeah, so really it's the, like the three of them and, and the team. How about when you recorded the songs? Cause I, I heard this time from just listening to some things that Adrian has said uh, and Steve has said that did you guys basically write and record at the same time in the studio? Were guys coming in with ideas that you all work on? or Yes, absolutely. Uh, this album... Slightly
0: different for the fact that we, what we, especially with the longer songs, like Darkest Hour, Days of Future Past, quite short tracks, so mm-hmm. we learn them and, and and in their entirety. So, but the longer songs, we would we would learn the piece, the bit, play it. We'd sit in a circle, everybody gets their call cool sheets written out, and uh, solos would be like, well, Jan, do you want to do the first solo? This is a great thing about Maiden no there's no ego yeah there's no ego whatsoever so it's not like well i wrote this and i'll do the first solo nothing to do. <laughs> i mean if you listen to uh, writing on the wall davey does the first solo right and, and and adrian wrote the track with bruce so you'd think oh i'm gonna do the first I, said, no, I can't <laughs> the second one right so you know there's there's none of that so what happens is we'll sit down learn the track learn that i'll sit there maybe play the you know there's no bass drum on a parquet floor you know <laughs> but you get the idea you sort yep. of later. and so once we've done the we you know we got the sketch right then we'll start doing the color by numbers so then we'll we'll, we'll go are we ready let's let's play it. put the headphones on off we go and then we'd learn that once that piece of music has been written if we feel comfortable we'll go right Kevin, can we record? And he's got he's got it set up where he presses a certain button on the desk or whatever he did, and then we're in record mode. So then we record it. So we did a lot of the songs in sections. Gotcha. On this album, and um, so that was that was slightly different for us, but it it worked. It was a it was a phenomenon. But we would be in the studio. This was a thing, you know. People go, God, it must have cost you a fortune. Yes, it probably did, but, you know, it was <laughs> worth it because rather than go to a studio with your equipment there, a rehearsal room, and then you write the whole things and you, you, you know, scratch it all together and you you do your, your colour by numbers, get it all right, we could do that in the studio. So I think we bought that studio for two and a half months, three months. And the the other good thing that we, we did with it was we got this from the Matter of Life and Death album when Kevin would pre-mix while we were playing the songs. So I kind of get a premix done. So a lot of the groundwork was done. Whereby in the older days, we, you know, Steve would would we would record. I'd get the drums right. Then Steve would go and change his bass strings and redo the bass. That didn't happen. That hasn't happened for a long time on these these albums. We've actually recorded together, and nothing was redone. Really like a lot of the rhythm guitar parts were all were all recorded as we played them solos, when we got to certain certain solo sections, they would probably be redone unless they were
1: that good that they didn't need to be done. So it was a great experience, this one. Because there's some intricate playing on there. There's the the middle section for Death of the Celts. Yeah, yeah. um, Which, once again, a classic Iron Maiden history lesson, which is amazing. But the middle part of that, I said to a friend of mine, this is the best kind of instrumental middle section since Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, the song. It just cooks and there is part after part after part. Is that something that you did in pieces? Because that is a very intricate. You mentioned dream theater earlier. I yeah. was this sounds like dream theater. Yeah. This is very <laughs> intricate here.
0: Uh, you know what? My total recall of how those tracks were put together, that one it would probably was done in parts because it is, it is so intricate. But um, I can't say verbatim off the top of oh, my head, yeah, we did that bit there, that bit there. You know, most of the time that happens with. With segues or going into, you know, a, a different time feel, the whole section would be learned, mm-hmm. right? So it might be then then cut and pasted onto the previous section, or whatever, you know. Um, so yeah, it's pretty. That was probably done in bits. Most of the songs had l- bits done like that, except for, as I said, the the more you know, writing on the wall. I think we did the solo section, if I'm not mistaken, on that. Stratego was pretty much that same, saying the solo section in that was probably uh, a, 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 an ad, but because that that you know that be honest with you that's the hardest track for me to play off that album.
1: Stratego. Yeah.
0: Really? Why is that? But it's just, it's a, it's like triplet, 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 that that triplet, triplet, triplet on the bass drum. And it's about 130 beats a minute, around that sort of uh, that sort of tempo. So it's right on the edge. I remember when Steve came up with it, he said, "Oh, he said, uh, uh, you you know, I kind of hear that triplet feel like we like we do, you know, the gallop, the gallop, yeah." Oh, 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 uh, okay. (laughs) And I remember when (laughs) I first tried it, 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 I I was having a bit of difficulty with it, and I said, "You're going to have to let me live with this for a bit. Let me let me practice that." You know, getting that that nice and clean,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, so we did. And we, uh, they, they gave me they gave me some time on my own with it.
1: But yeah, it's uh yeah, I think Death of the Celts was done in bits. You know, it's interesting because you, you mentioned the Iron Maiden gallop, and that is uh you know a the centerpiece of the band, a trademark of the band, and that basically started with with you. You this is your drum pattern that you do quite often. Yeah, so you created the Maiden gallops. <laughs>
0: oh he's done it again oh he hasn't got anything else in his drawer yeah i've got dirty laundry in the drawer so you know just so you know yeah but you know this is the thing you know you play it's like what charlie when we talked about how charlie what's the what's in between the notes you play what's needed for the song and Mm -hmm. if it happens to be something that's got a, a feel similar to something else then be that as it may I'm not going to change something just because it's like something I played before or you know, you the Eagles there, you know, whatever, you know. But that's, that locks my rhythm is to drive the rhythm section, and that's me and Steve, primarily. Bass and drums, backbone of the band, without a doubt. Of course. And whatever yeah. Steve's playing, uh, it dictates how I will interpret the rhythm. And that's what that track needed. Uh, much to my chagrin, I, I've kind of, uh, as I said to Adrian, it's all your fault. He said no. He said that you've made you've made that bed. Now you've got to lay in it. That's on you. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got you. I get where you're coming from. But you know, it's what the song needs. It's it's not because oh I, that's the maiden gallop. Oh, I'll stick it where I can. No, it's that's what it required.
1: It was perfect for that. For I'd that like to team, have just right.
0: played a, a kick on. You know. One and three, you know. That's
1: <laughs> that's been fun. The disco version. Yeah. As we start to, to wind down, just to talk about a couple more of, of of the songs, is there are some songs on here, and Bruce has alluded to it, that are different from the from, from typical maiden songs, which is great. You guys have always changed things up. But you're talking about writing on the wall is one and then the title track sanjutsu uh which is completely different from what i was expecting but it's very much a drum based heavy rhythm type oh, song yeah yeah is that the way it was presented to you or did you just say hey let me try something more of a tribal beat here yeah it was it was it was presented to be like um kodo
0: drums that kind of big you know, like, imagine there's these, the, you know, the Japanese Kodo players, yeah. you know, being that, do, and do, it was like, <laughs> you know, and, and, and Steve said, what, you know, I can hear, like, big, you know, like a tom, more toms rather than a straight groove. I mean, in the chorus of it, you know, it goes into the snare, and but it still keeps the basic jungle theme or if you like it's not so mm-hmm. much the kodo because i'm using too many different sounds across the kit so it was something that we worked on together we all kind of put you know bruce was like oh you know that 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 sounds really good more on the, not going to the two high toms going going more around the lower lower part of the kit so yeah I, i'd say that 60 of that was was my my input into how that part was was created on that you to track. That's fucking, that, I've got to say, for an album opener, that is some spectacular track. That really is, you know.
1: Like I guess it's different from what you would normally expect, and then that's why it works so well. And,
0: and the other thing that I, the one, I mean, it's not, not a, a playing thing so much is that um, Hell on Earth, the last track, mm-hmm. it fades out. Hmm and i know it's funny because we haven't done an actual track where you fade out the music Hmm. and then that's it you know there may be a fade musically and then the intro would be the outro yeah but we actually you know it's one of those hands on the fade, right everybody Obviously, obviously, with automation now, you just press a button and everything goes down as it... That's <laughs> right. right. Not like the old days where you all had to bring everything down together so you all got ready, ready. No, that's too quick. You know, you you got rid of the snare drum too you know. Just a point, I, I said to Bruce, do you realise that our album ends with a fade-out? I said, no, I don't think... I can't remember the last track that we had, mm. especially on a
1: finishing album, uh, the finishing track. Just, just as a matter of interest, boys and girls. That's a good point. So you you mentioned a couple more things about your drum set. And what do you have planned? Because every I had Nico McBrain drum set, every tour, is something spectacular Absolutely. as well. Because we can't see you. We can never see you. All we see is the drums. So it's got to be something. Well, here's
0: the thing. I mean, the last uh, last two Souls tour and the Legacy, I actually took my angle of my Tom Toms Flattened them out a bit, and I took my drum stool up about an inch and a quarter. Oh. Right now, that <laughs> be honest with you, Chris, I don't know. It's but I suppose it's like when you know comparison for you in your wrestling days would be putting a pair of pants on with a big crutch. What are your codpiece in it? You know, like oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just trying to make a comparison of how different it would feel. You know, but so I felt right. first of all that I was on. Like on a mountain, just by going up an inch and a quarter and uh flatten the drum, so that made me uh, made me my posture to play the times i had to sit up and get my back straight so, but, i mean it's a little too late a little was it it what's what's too little too late yeah a little too soon too whatever that is um, but you know at least I need because my lower back uh, it was pretty pretty messed up and uh so by taking my drum set up my drum tom's flatter and going up high you can actually see me whereas before you just see the top of my head and my forehead and then me, now i'm actually up level so girls just so you know make sure you can have a look at me um but no for the so um obviously the legacy tour we're we're going back out with that next year there, there will be, obviously, some plan. I, I take it, we'll be planning on doing something later for Senjutsu. I do have some incredible ideas for how I will present my drum set if and when we do decide to go out. But, you know, because everything's such a question mark, you know, because of what's going on in the world, Legacy Tour is scheduled to go out in June. I am looking at a new kit for that section of the Legacy Tour. Mm-hmm. but uh, yeah I mean this is the, one of the great things that uh, that Steve has always said to me he said look Nick here's the artist rendition of the, the what we're going to go out on the stage set once that's been decided that's how our stage set will look I then take my ideas and put them onto a drum set and I get carte blanche with that I'll always run it as I said earlier I'll run it by Steve and uh, say look this is do you like the gold do you like the gold hardware the black hardware or the regular silver and he goes i like them all you choose so i do that because he's the, the this is steve's band this is his creation this is his dream five other guys are living it with him mm-hmm. and i want i will i mean not to, no disrespect to rod i love rod like a brother and, <laughs> and, you know but you know certain things that i've done on my drums him and bruce have laughed at and yet my boss has gone <laughs> Well done on that drum set, you know. <laughs> so yes, I've got some good ideas, but um, yeah, so it's, it's great because that's my tapestry. Get it? Mm-hmm. Tapestry. Never mind. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> boom boom boom. Yeah, I don't have a kit <laughs> And when's the last time you actually saw the the all six of the guys? Have you been together at all in the last few years? No, absolutely
0: not. Um, I haven't seen any of them. I mean, we've spoken on the phone. Yeah. But, you know, the last time was our last show, which was, I think, August of 2019, somewhere around there, August or September, on the last part of the Legacy Tour. And, you know, then we hung the, we hung the old gear in the, in the warehouse ready to go out in 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you miss playing live? Absolutely. Yeah. I've got a couple of guys. Okay, so the restaurant we do our party every year at uh, Rock and Roll Ribs on the t- uh, we're having a party on the 4th hopefully uh, if everything's okay in the state of Florida because at the moment we are we're ramped up as number 1 for covid deaths and people getting sick. Right. If we don't have to shut down, we're having a party and I've got a uh, I've got a a tribute band called Titanium Tot. <laughs> Boys and girls, don't try and nick the name because it's already been registered, okay? And it's an Iron Maiden tribute band. But instead of having um, Eddie, (laughs) uh, instead, I've got Tatiana, who's, uh, you know, because unfortunately, right, my idea from years ago, Chris, and I'm leading forward because I need to let you know only you. I come up with this, Eddie needs a girlfriend, and we'll call her Edwina. And guess what? The Iron Maidens have used it. Oh. Which is God. really pissed me off. Anyway, that's not it. Really. So, anyway, we're doing a night. <laughs> right. I've, got, I've got a gig I'm doing. I've got a rehearsal tonight, funny enough. First time I'd have actually been in a room mm. playing with other people uh, since two years. So, wow. We're doing a gig in uh, a, play, a club down here called Pipers Club on uh, the 15th of October. And I think it's 15th. And I'm going to use, do my um, Bad Company tribute band called Dodgy Enterprise. So we've
1: <laughs> been, we've been, <laughs> that's a good one, isn't it? They're both good. I'm still laughing over Titanium Tart. Titanium Tart, Tart brilliant. <laughs> that took me a couple of minutes to I, get I that one. I can't
0: take credit for that. I have to tip me out off to the wife, Rebe- my wife, Rebecca. She <laughs> said, I know. Why don't you call your band Titanium Tart? And I went, Titanium Tart? you're having a- oh that's pretty good you know <laughs> so um yeah um, we're going to cover now um, our seventh son era. Mm. so and you know i'm going to do a couple bunch of songs off of that you know i think, yeah. I think that that's that, great. That, yeah so um no i haven't played i haven't seen the band spoke to bruce last week um because he got covered it's a it's good insane. thing Advocate, advocate, right there because Bruce had the his vaccinations, and he got sick, and he said, oh, "I just felt like I had heavy, heavy flu." Which, if you have been vaccinated, is I believe is how you feel when you get sick. Right. Uh, if you haven't had the the injections, um, could be a lot worse. Well, it is a lot worse. Right. It's not could be. Right. It is. It's going to be. You know. So I honestly, boys and girls, you lot out there, uh, I would thoroughly, totally recommend. Don't matter how old you are. Don't matter how young you are get vaccinated because then we can open up the world and go out and do what we do you know play some rock and roll
1: last question for you nick what song or songs are you looking forward to playing live from senjutsu and what's your favorite song you like playing live currently oh that's easy question the lot
0: (laughs) I, i honestly think you know maybe we should leave out stratego (laughs) <laughs> right <laughs> well that's not going to work that's not going to happen that's the single you yeah, screwed exactly. yourself on that um, I, all, all of the tracks I think but my, you know as I said earlier Chris my favourite track's track is Parchment um, just be, it's just got such a great feel to it and uh, I love the count of guitar melodies that, that that build up to the very towards the very end section where we go into the double time and we make, we go back to you know we made nice that bit, but yeah um, yeah, all of those songs I think would be stunning live. I really do hope that if we do go out, um, which it seems strange not to, but it, you know we haven't actually confirmed anything to do that yet. But uh, would be nice to do the whole album. Mm. I would love to play the, that record, the whole. That whether it would be played in the same, you know, the running of the tracks on on the album, I don't know. Um, I think we did that with Matter and Life and Death. You did, yeah. We played it as it was on the album. So probably would be, but uh, we'll see. As to my favourite track ever to play live is Hallow Be Thy Name. Oh, yeah. That is just a track that, um, I mean, to be honest with you, all of Maiden's tracks to play live are just great. They they all have their own certain fingerprint and uh, feel but hallowed is when we get to play that i mean just the whole intro you know the sort of, it's the bells and although i don't i used to play the tubular bells on the <laughs> but Michael Kenny does it now because he can get the right sound every night. I went, okay. It, it saves me, you know, turning around trying to play the bell of a cymbal plus the tubular, which is what I used to do. And it saves the drum, my drum tech from having Roy come out and putting muffler out You know, used to have three holes in the drum riser, you know. <laughs> <laughs> to accommodate the uh, halfway of... Anyway. The tubular belly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how to, and, and the thing is that it never ceases to, to get my psyche going when we go into the solo section. It lifts. The whole song lifts up. I mean, we've got it to a tempo now where it isn't too fast. It's still faster than... The album's very <laughs> ploddy. Yeah. You know, sometimes that would get carried away. We'd play it too quick. Because Bruce couldn't sing it. You come up, you come off stage. You go, oh, bloody shit! I've got to get full teeth now. I can't get the words out. What's the matter with you? And uh, so, but uh, you know, it's got this, this whole, there's, there's three guitar sets, you know, and and it's just, you know, and then when it comes out, bad down into the chorus line at the end, it's just, uh, and then the, the very end of it, it's something that possessed me. That track, uh, I, in the old days, Davy would end up you know and then then dave would go into this (laughs) right and i'd stand up in the old days i'd stand up on the floor tom tom literally it would take my weight mind you i was probably 30 pounds lighter in the paint and i have and been giving it all this today with we the sticks and you know pointing at him and you know, doing the whammy bar with the drumsticks which we still do but I can't stand on the floor Tom I have to stand on the <laughs> stool and put a foot on it because the, the, you know the drums aren't as strong as they used to be the, the way they're made uh, lighter shells thinner you know you could crack them right and I was I'll just telling you this story there was one time we were in uh, New Zealand and we had we a uh, 90, 93, I think, it was a Fear of the Dark tour. And uh, Sonor was supposed to send me a, uh, a signature drum set, uh, the, the Lion signature, they had, uh, like 12-ply the shells, they were a half-inch, three-quarters of an inch thick. Well, the bloke sent me a force 3000 drum set, and it was a 22-inch bass drum, 16-inch floor, 10, 12, 13 Tom-Tom, right? And my, my then my drum set walked Gamina I phoned me up and he old you. ain't going to believe this. Hey man, they sent you the wrong drum set. I went, what they sent me? Hey, got off anyway. So we we played it. We got to the end of the set, right? We 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 did hallowed in the set. I stood up on the floor, Tom, right. like I used to with my normal drum set. Right, Davey's going. Wo, wo, wo. I'm giving it the big and I got on the floor, Tom. Tom. The leg broke. It twisted and bent the leg. The tom's gone that way. I've fallen back on the drum stool, right? <laughs> uh, Whack me head on the on, on something. One of the cymbal stands, right? I've got up. Davy's still going. Woo, 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 woo right i haven't finished the song i picked the floor tom up and thrown it up in the lighting truss right it's ping-ponged <laughs> in the lighting this is no word of a light it's ping-ponging in the lighting truss bruce in the meantime has come back towards the drum set going cold oh, we're going to finish the song i've kicked the drum set over the snare drums over here now because it when i fell it had it, fallen next to the hi hat so now that the, the floor tom decided to fall out of the lighting truss just barely missing Bruce, who then threw the tom <laughs> back at me. <laughs> this kit is trashed. It's the cult drum, and we we still got like number of the beast or I made a it. So <laughs> I managed to get the high hat and give it a da da-ga-da-da, on a snare drum that's like this Oh <laughs> <laughs> my life. So hence I don't stand on the floor, Tom anymore. <laughs>
1: Ah, oh, Nico, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. Uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to see you uh, down the road somewhere. I got to come to Rock and Roll Ribs one of these days. It's just down the road from where I live. Yeah, sure,
0: mate. You're more than welcome. Just let me know when you you, you want to come up and I'll meet you.
1: You can give me a 10% discount I'll or something. I'll give you more than that. I'll give you 15. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> Great job on the new Thanks, record, mate. Nick. Thank you, man. Thank you so much, Chris. Be safe. God bless you. Take care. See you soon.